It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The latest UK GDP figures were released this week, prompting speculation about a possible recession. But do we place too much importance on this number? And what's a better way of measuring the success of a country? Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and this is Reasons Revisited. It's a weekly, fun-sized reason to be cheerful. We dig back into our five-year audio archive and brief you on a big idea that's having a moment. This week, we're talking about new ways of measuring a country's prosperity. Typically, we use a measurement called GDP to tell how well a country's doing. It's deep-rooted in economists' and politicians' way of thinking. But what if GDP isn't a good enough measurement anymore? What if we measured how easy it would be to get to your nearest green space or satisfaction with your work-life balance? Moving beyond GDP is nothing new. American politician Robert Kennedy made a speech in 1968 where famously he said that GDP measured everything except that which makes life worthwhile. But why does this matter? According to the organisation the Centre for Thriving Places, we have an economy that is producing social injustice and climate catastrophe by design. And that's why New Zealand's introduction of a wellbeing budget grabbed so many headlines back in 2019. Should more countries be following suit at a time when the economy is clearly failing so many people? Here's where we're starting from. We often use GDP, short for gross domestic product, to measure the size and health of a country's economy. Many people think we should move beyond GDP to an alternative set of indicators that measure environmental and social aspects of progress. Countries around the world are coming up with alternatives, such as New Zealand's well-being budget, the Bhutan Gross National Happiness Index, or the Welsh Wellbeing of Future Generations Act. Moving beyond GDP could help politicians reframe what's valuable and prioritise funding things that help people live longer and better lives. This is especially important when we think about how we respond to the climate crisis. But what exactly is GDP? And why could changing what we measure help us reimagine the economy? Back in June 2021, we spoke to Catherine Trebek, who co-founded the Wellbeing Economy Alliance. She told us what GDP is, some of its shortcomings, and what it means when we talk about a well-being economy. So GDP was created roughly 90 years ago to measure how the US was emerging from the Great Recession and how the New Deal of Roosevelt was delivering and impacting the economy. And it essentially measures money changing hands, so spending by consumers, by business and government. And the problem with that, with letting GDP dominate our mindsets about how the economy is performing, is that there's so many perverse incentives bound up with GDP. I mean, it, it counts as a win when we knock down a forest. It doesn't count as anything when we spend time in our gardens, cooking for each other, growing our own vegetables. It also really doesn't reward us when we protect the planet. And it, it also has a whole lot of activities that really count 
when we get it wrong, but it doesn't celebrate when we get it right. So if we keep people healthy, if we don't have to treat people with medicines, if people are staying in healthy relationships, if they're staying safe, if they're not crashing their cars, GDP won't move. And yet all those outcomes are a good thing for society. And so it's problematic for so many different reasons. Uh, what's the alternative to it? I mean, how should we think about the purpose of the economy instead? And what do you mean when you talk about building a well-being economy? Mm. The well-being economy is essentially saying what we need to do is reposition the economy as in service of higher order goals. It's about delivering social justice on a healthy planet. That's at its very simplest. That's what a well-being economy is about. And when it comes to growth, it's about saying, let's be fair weather friends of growth have growing what we need in the right circumstances, the right scenarios, the right places, but let's not be at ever faithful followers. How do we avoid the problem of what I perceive to have happened with the UK government, which is that the ONS, the Office of National Statistics, produces a large number of measures of well-being, but it hasn't really challenged the dominance of GDP? I think you're entirely right that there are plenty of measures. I mean, it's it's all, it's not a lack of metrics. Now the trick is to really grasp the metal of understanding. It's quite a profound mindset shift to shift our thinking around understanding the economy not being a goal in and of itself, but thinking about the economy as something that's not only embedded in nature and embedded in society, but being in service of delivering quality of life. I have a dream, Jeff, that... Maybe instead of measuring GDP and or going into elections saying under my watch we'll grow the economy and recovery will look like this in terms of GDP, instead of that we'll have politicians of the future saying under my watch it'll be the number of girls who ride their bikes to school that will go up and we'll use that as a measure of progress because I bet you everyday people will see that that's an important thing that reflects their dreams and their hopes for their families and their local streets and their communities much more than some abstract incremental increases in GDP per capita. How can the balance of outcomes that Catherine spoke of and economic growth become reality in future? How will that be possible? We spoke to Annie Quick from the New Economics Foundation back in 2019 about all of this and whether the New Zealand wellbeing budget, which had just been announced, was a significant step forwards. So I don't think we're going to manage to get the kind of changes that we need by just adding well-being onto growth and hoping we can pursue both of them together. So it's just a measure of economic activity. So the idea that we just need to, to grow, get more money, get more wealth, and then everyone will be better off. And actually, of course, just like New Zealand, I mean, the UK is one of the richest countries in the world, and we have 14 million people living in poverty. It's just not true that what we need to do is grow. Um, so by focusing on, on growth, uh, it really sort of is a convenient distraction from the major sort of economic injustice at the heart of our economy. Um, so yeah, I do think we need to get rid of talking about growth as well as talking about well-being. And in that context, how do you view the New Zealand experiment? I mean, do you think it's a sort of step forward? I think it's a fantastic step forward. I don't think we should underestimate how big this is. Um, there's lots of problems with it. For me, one of the big issues, one of the sort of dangers of the well-being framing is that when people think about well-being, it's really easy to think about kind of yoga holidays, healthy eating. It's got yeah. a bit of a reputation problem, right? And one Jeff of, and I are going on a yoga holiday together, aren't we, Jeff? Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> is that the outcome of yeah, this? Exactly. Was that this podcast you wanted exactly. to get us to give you some recommendations? Exactly. You told me we're going to Ibiza. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, well, I'm just, I'm just sort of... I'm, 
bearing in mind my different audiences yes. here. But it is a real problem, right? I mean, what's more important than living a good life? That's absolutely central to, to what we should be existing for. And yet it's got, you know, it's, it feels very fluffy in public discourse. And, and one of the dangers is that we can often look to individual solutions. Um, and, and my feeling is that the New Zealand budget did that a little bit too much. So it's brilliant that we're focusing on mental health spending, like absolutely essential. I'd love to see an equivalent kind of effort in the UK. And yet, like, why? Why does the New Zealand have such high suicide rates and such poor mental health? Those are going to be structural issues to do with housing costs, to do with poverty, to do with all of these other things. Still to come, how successful has New Zealand's well-being budget been? But before that, we come to friend of the pod, Kate Rayworth. She was on the show in 2021, telling us about her answer to the GDP problem, donut economics, which has taken the world by storm. She explains why a single indicator of an economy's health will never give the full picture and why we desperately need an alternative to unrestricted economic growth. I think that concept that progress lies in endless expansion has taken us into multiple crises. It's led us to financial meltdown. It's taken us into climate and ecological breakdown. So we need to transform our idea of what is the shape of progress. And yeah, slightly crazy it sounds. I think it looks like a donut. So it's the car with a hole in the middle. If you think of humanity's use of Earth's resources as radiating out from the middle, we want to leave nobody in the hole in the donut. That's where people don't have the resources they need for a life of dignity and opportunity and community. Everyone needs enough food, good housing, education, healthcare, transport, income, participation, belonging, political voice. So leave no one in the donut's hole. The 21st century says, hang on a minute. The way we are creating jobs, the way we are running industries, we are pushing on the limits of this planet's life-supporting systems. We are breaking down the stability of our climate. We are destroying biodiversity. We are converting too much of Earth's land for human use. And in the simplest terms, I could say the goal of the donut is to meet the needs of all people within the means of the living planet. I think there's something very interesting about why it's taken off so much. And, And do you think it's because of this, which is that people have been sort of going on about alternatives to GDP for a long time. But what is the great beauty of GDP or or attraction of GDP is its simplicity and its sort of one measure. The danger of this is it sounds incredibly complicated and incredibly hard to understand. And that what you've managed to do, you've managed to find a way of giving it meaning and kind of comprehensibility, which lots of the other ways of talking about this haven't done. So... And I ask myself this as well. Um, one, you've got to be for something. I mean, we can all say we're against GDP, yeah. critique GDP, but like, okay, tell me what you're for. Yeah. And sometimes the most powerful form of protest is to propose something new. And two, there is something very powerful about the single number, but there's also something very powerful about a single picture. And it's got a multiplicity to it, but hey, the world's complex. If I, if I offered you a car that I said, hey, Ed, you're going to love this car. You know, it's got one dial. You don't have to worry about the whole dashboard, just one dial, and it's got the speed and the petrol and the temperature and the revs all in this one dial. You don't want to drive that car. So why would we want to govern our economies that way? So, of course, we need a dashboard. We just need to make compelling ways of showing it. Kate Rayworth, telling us why the donut provides a compelling image of how well a country is meeting the needs of its people within the needs of the planet. But what about New Zealand's wellbeing budget? Should other countries be looking to emulate it? New Zealand introduced its wellbeing budget in 2019. 
Although New Zealand punches above its weight on many areas such as higher incomes and cleaner air, it faced some serious well-being issues, from one of the worst youth suicide rates in the world to a housing affordability crisis. 2023 was the year of New Zealand's fifth well-being budget, and it prioritised a just climate transition, better physical and mental well-being, a better future of work, improving Maori people's lives and reducing child poverty. A report issued by the government in 2022 showed that New Zealand, compared to other countries, is a good place to live, with a higher proportion of people in good health, higher life satisfaction, as well as having a relatively higher level of social cohesion and trust. So where does this go next? We should say that New Zealand's approach isn't a silver bullet. There is a lot more work to do. And sustaining well-being will depend on New Zealand's ability to adapt to a lower carbon economy too. But it seems like the country has made huge steps in trying to move beyond just looking at GDP, which is admirable. Here are your cheerful nuggets to take away. Number one. GDP has long been viewed as a simplification of what's really going on in a country's economy and doesn't capture how well a country is doing in terms of citizens' well-being or quality of life. As Catherine said, GDP doesn't celebrate it when we get it right. Two, in a world in which exponential economic growth is no longer compatible with the planet's means, we need to find a better way of measuring prosperity. Donut economics is one way of reimagining our economy. Three, New Zealand is one great example of where they're trying to do things differently. It's too early to tell how well it's working, but it offers a brilliant example to the rest of the world of why economic growth isn't the be-all and end-all. I'll be back with Ed on Monday for a brand new episode of Reasons to be Cheerful. We would love to hear from you. Find us on social media or through our website, cheerfulpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Lloyd, and written and produced by Rachel Barmer, this has been Reasons Revisited. Reasons Revisited.